Kenny Soto and his guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions are Kenny's and his guests alone. Nothing discussed today should be relied upon for investment decisions or advice. This show is just for information and entertainment purposes only. Please work directly with an investment professional and don't forget to do your own research after listening to each episode. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode three of the Sensible Investor Podcast. Before we dive in, a couple of administrative things. First things first. If you're a new listener, thank you for listening. Don't forget to say hi on Instagram or Twitter. I'll keep the handles in the show notes. If you have any questions or topics you'd like for me to discuss, please, please, please send them over. Before I talk about today's topic, which is how to create your portfolio, how to go about rebalancing your portfolio, and what to think about when it comes to diversification, that's a keyword you listen to and hear many, many times on this episode. Before we go into any of those topics, I want to first start off by saying thank you for joining me on this journey and for showcasing the two attributes that I think are very important in order for you to be successful, not just as an investor, but also just as a person. And those attributes are curiosity and a hunger for learning more or a thirst for knowledge. A lot of people say they want to be an investor. A lot of people say they want a better life, but they don't technically go about the action steps. They don't take action in order to get to the next step, whatever that may be. And if you're like me, you want a better life for yourself in the future. You don't want to worry about what's going to happen when you are 60 years old. How are you going to take care of your kids? How are you going to take care of your spouse? How are you going to, heck, how are you going to take care of your parents? And I think the answer to making sure you don't worry at all in the future is one, having a sound body a sound body and a sound mind, excuse me, and having money. And I know that money doesn't solve all of your problems, but money solves your money problems, and there's a long list of those. So welcome, and I appreciate you. I congratulate you. I'm proud of you, whoever you are, for listening in and trying to learn more about investing. It's something that you should be commended for and respected for. And at the very least, there's one person in this world who does respect you for wanting to become a better investor, and that's me. So I just have to say thank you for your time and your attention. Shout out to Matthew for this episode topic. I was asking people on on Twitter and Instagram, what should I talk about for the next episode? And he wanted to learn more about how to diversify his portfolio. And that's always a great topic of discussion when it comes to being an investor because it is something that will help you not lose your money, which is the whole point of this podcast. Near the end of this episode, I'll show two examples from one of my favorite personal finance books, and we'll use those as discussion points or a starting point, if you will, for your portfolio. If you have a topic, 
There will be a form link in the show notes, or if you just have any feedback, use that link. It will be a Google form, and you can send your ideas, questions, and feedback, and I'll be more than happy to read it and incorporate it in future episodes. So why even focus on diversification? The best way to think about it is as a pie chart. That's how I think about it, where you divvy up how much of any given asset and any set of assets you will own by percentages. There is always a risk of your money losing its value, either through having it stay idle due to inflation, which happens to anyone who's not an investor, or because of the risks involved with investing in a particular asset. So you might be thinking, this sounds like a lose-lose situation. If I don't invest, I lose because of inflation, which is going to constantly exist. If I do invest, there's a risk of me losing my money, depending on what I invest in, and that can be overwhelming if you don't know where to start. Well, there are many, many, many ways to start where you don't need to have too much risk. It will be there, but you just have to know ahead of time that it just comes with the game. Now, when it comes to selecting your assets, the first rule that I follow is the more risky the asset is, the more education I need before putting any amount of money into that asset. Now, there are many ways of measuring risk. How much money you can afford to lose is one example, or how volatile the asset is. Risk can also be seen as the standard deviation from the expected return or the baseline allocation, the principal investment. Now, all of that sounds like a whole bunch of jargon. So just tying it back to what I just previously said, you can think about it in two ways. How much money you're willing to lose or can afford to lose or how volatile the asset is. Now, when I say how volatile the asset is, If you remember from episode two, I talked about stock market turbulence, another analogy for volatility. Volatility is simply how often a asset moves up and down in price and how much of the change happens, like the magnitude. But let us focus on volatility specifically. And when it comes to that, it can be managed through diversification. That is the tool that you would use. And as Nobel laureate Harry Markowitz once said, diversification is the only free lunch. There are many tools, theories, formulas, etc. that you can use in investing to help you get an edge, an advantage over the rest of the market. But at the end of the day, if you want to keep things extremely simple, just focus on diversification. So now let's do a quick rundown of assets from low to high in volatility. And note that this list is taken from Money, Master the Game, Seven Simple Steps to Financial Freedom by Tony Robbins, which I highly recommend you read as soon as possible. So let's start off with what Tony describes as security assets. They have low volatility, And for the most part, you can get a sense of the expected return over long periods of time, starting off with cash. Now, although cash does lose value when it comes to inflation, 
It should always be something you think about when it comes to emergency spending. And Tony Robbins isn't the only person that thinks about cash in this way. Another notable financial guru or expert that I recommend you follow is Dave Ramsey. And he always recommends having six to nine months, if not one whole year, of living expenses saved, which is rent, food, uh, gas, utilities, whatever that you need to spend money on in order to survive, having six to nine to 12 months of that saved and not having it invested in anything, it will lose purchasing power over time. But why you have that emergency fund is if another pandemic happens, for example, or you get injured and your insurance cannot cover for all of the medical bill payments or uh, your car gets totaled and you need a new one immediately to sustain your employment. Those situations call for you having an emergency fund set. Even if it's not for yourself, think about it as just a safety net for your family as well. If some of those situations happen to your family members, it would be a nice, nice to have to be able to help them in any way possible. So cash would be the first one. And under cash, he also mentions a money market fund and U.S. Treasury money market funds with checking privileges. Now, I personally don't have enough information to provide on this episode, but in future episodes, I'll dive into cash equivalents that you can use in your personal finances. Next, we have bonds. Now, bonds, in the simplest way possible, is giving you the ability to invest in other institutions and other people's debt which is why when interest rates go up or down, investors worry about that if they hold bonds. And I believe you should hold bonds, but it always depends on how conservative you want to be with your investing. On average, depending on how strong inflation is, you might just break even and not make any return when investing solely 100% in bonds. But it is something that should be in your portfolio, even if it's 5%. And we'll dive into a right allocation of bonds versus stocks later in this episode. So it would be bonds next. And subsets of that would be low-cost bond index funds like AGG, for an example. And that's the aggregate bond index, if I can remember correctly. Then there's U.S. Treasury bonds, which is affected by inflation and deflation, so you should keep that in mind. Then there's TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. So if inflation goes up, you get more money. There's T-bills, which lasts for 12 months in the holding period. There's T-notes, which is 10 to 30 years. And then there's T-bonds. So as you can see, I can do a whole episode, if not two, on bonds in and of itself. What I do to keep my life very, very simple is I invest in an index where there's a bunch of them out there. The best way to think about them is what index of bonds can I hold that has the lowest amount of fees? If it's less than 1%, I'm golden. That's the one I'm picking. And then just keep in mind that people can change their fees whenever they want. So you might want to just read the prospectus, which is a document you get when you invest in any asset. Um, so read the prospectus before you put a large amount of money in a bond index fund. And under that, you also have corporate bonds, which if you're going to do corporate bonds, it might just be better to buy a stock. You have high yield bond index funds, which are good replacements for that. 
You have municipal bonds, which is state or city project loans. You have certificates of deposit, which is separate from bonds, and that also has low volatility. And under that, you have market-linked CDs, which is a type of certificate of deposit. And under that, you have your house. So that's another type of asset that has low volatility. However, you want to make sure that a mortgage that you get, eventually, once you pay that off, you get the first deed or first deeds of trust. So they cannot force you to sell the home whenever they want to. And that obviously brings up another episode that might have to be discussed in the future. Afterwards, you have your pension. Then you have low-cost variable annuities, annuities, um, which you can get at T-I-A-A-C-R-E-F or Vanguard. Then you have life, life insurance, which Tony Robbins believes is an essential or a must-have in your asset portfolio because in the case that you die, you want to make sure that there's some money left over for your family outside of what you're investing in actively. And lastly, structured notes which usually are not liquid for seven years, which means when you buy a structured note, which is probably like for $5,000, 10000 or $20,000, you cannot withdraw that money at all. So I don't do structured note investing. I don't have a annuity or a pension. Um, amongst all of the things that I just mentioned, I do have cash, I do hold bonds, and I am thinking of getting life insurance. I don't have it right now, but that's just something that I will be adding to my portfolio in the future. So those are all things that are low in volatility. Now we go into what's high in volatility. And you can speculate on what's higher or not, but I'll start off from lowest to highest. And as I'm saying this, know that this is just my opinion I'm not certified in investing. I'm not a financial planner or a financial analyst. This is just based on what I've seen, what I've read from other people who are certified. And to start off would be structured notes, what I just mentioned earlier. Structured notes is basically like if you have a Venn diagram, if you will, where it's both bonds or low volatility assets and high volatility assets. Structured notes is right in the middle where it's both low and high. Now, when it comes to the other low or high volatility assets, excuse me, it would be commodities like gold or silver. Then you have real estate, which when it comes to investing in real estate, you don't need to purchase a multifamily unit because the volatility and unpredictability unpredictability with that comes from your tenants. You can invest in a REIT, a real estate investment trust. There's a ton of them that are available in your brokerage account. And I highly recommend having some small percentage of REITs in your portfolio. And when it comes to REITs, you can buy an individual conglomerate or a REIT index because certain REITs will specifically focus on buying um, malls. Others will focus on buying corporate office buildings. But if you don't want to like do the research to find out what market to go into, um, I would recommend doing a REIT index, so an index that covers all of the real estate investing companies, whether they're investing in senior homes or office buildings, what have you. After that, you go into the fun part of equities, so individual stocks, ETFs or index funds that capture the whole market or an industry, and mutual funds. 
Now, when it comes to mutual funds specifically, you have to keep in mind that they're different from index funds. Index funds capture the average of a specific group of companies, either through market capitalization, which is the size of the company, or through the type of industry, or through the total stock market. When it comes to mutual funds, mutual funds are actively managed. So there's a portfolio manager that's choosing the best stocks to hold in a particular fund. The reason why I don't choose actively managed funds myself, although they can give you a good rate of return, is because they are subject to human error. And I go through the philosophy that the only human error that should be affecting my portfolio, or at least the majority of my portfolio, is me. And then second to that would be the government that I am purchasing bonds fund from, excuse me, and the companies I'm investing in, their leadership. I don't want a broker or a fund manager to manage my money for me. Um, I'll learn from them, if you will, but I'll be doing the active management myself. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you want to do the same thing. And then last but not least, the most volatile asset out there, which you still should consider, even though it's really volatile, is cryptocurrencies. And that calls for its own episode in and of itself. But just know that when you are investing in crypto, you don't necessarily just need to buy and hold a coin. You can do something new that's called staking, where you take a coin and you loan it out to an institutional investor for a particular um, percentage of yield. And... That yield can go, and it ranges from 1% to 7% to 7.8% I've seen. And there is risk involved with that as well because the market influences will make it so that that percentage goes down unexpectedly. But it is something to consider. And even if it's just playing with cents on the dollar, it's something to think about. So that would be all of the assets from low to high volatility that you are able to dive into. I didn't mention anything like collectibles, like sports cards or art, but if you're thinking of that as well, I would say focus on the ones that I just mentioned first. And then if you want to get into the trading card game, the collectible game, the art game, then you can consider it. But master these first. Master how you're going to allocate all of these different types of assets into your portfolio and then consider the rest. Hey, 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 it's Kenny here. Thanks again for listening to this episode of my podcast. I'm making a concentrated effort to talk about topics in the world of finance and investing that you find interesting. What does that mean? It means that the best way for me to make sure I'm talking about the things you care about is by making sure your voice is heard. After listening to this podcast, or even while you're listening to it, you can email me at hello at sensibleinvestor.club. Again, hello at sensibleinvestor.club with any topics, feedback, or just general comments you have about the podcast. And if you don't want to use your email address, there's also a form in the show notes. I'm really grateful for your time and attention, and I don't want to waste it. If you send over topics for future episodes, you'll get to hear about the stuff that you care about. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back. Now let's talk about portfolio management and diversifying your assets. 
one thing I do want to paraphrase and take from Money Master of the Game by Tony Robbins is a quick tidbit that he talks about when interviewing hedge fund investor Ray Dalio, who's definitely someone to do some research on. He's the owner and creator of Bridgewater Associates, a really big hedge fund, and he's a very knowledgeable person. And in that interview that Tony does with him and puts in the book, Ray talks about simply allocating the same amount of money to each of your assets isn't making good diversification and balance of risk in your portfolio. He explains that stocks are three times more volatile, or in this case risky, than bonds. And because of that, if you had a 50% allocation of stocks in your portfolio and a 50% allocation of bonds in your portfolio, you'd actually have 95% of your risk in stocks and 5% of your risks in bonds. So unpacking that a little, that basically means when you decide how to diversify your assets and you're thinking about volatility and risk, don't just think I'm going to do, for example, if you have four types of assets, you have cash, stocks, bonds, and crypto. I'm going to put 25 in each because they all have different types of risk involved. So when you're choosing your percentages, keep that in mind. They're not equal in their risk profile. And because of that, you want to think about what kind of investor are you? Do you want to be aggressive? Do you want to be conservative? Do you want to be moderately aggressive? Do you want to be moderately conservative? I personally am a very conservative investor. It's why even though I do like to invest in single stocks and single companies, the majority of my portfolio is index funds. And I just play around with the allocation of that because I want to make sure that I am reducing my level of risk as much as possible. That doesn't mean that you can't outperform my portfolio if you were to go 100% into risky assets where your portfolio, for example, is 90% stocks and 10% crypto. You most likely will be able to outperform me. However, your risk that you're taking is also much higher than mine. There's always a, a direct parallel between how much risk you're taking and how much reward you're getting. And just as there should be a threshold or a cap on how much risk you're willing to take, you might want to flip the scenario on its head and think about how much reward you're willing to gain. It's not always a promising thing if an asset can give you double of your money, double of the principal investment. So when talking about portfolio management, there are certain things you want to consider. One would be restricting how often you rebalance or change your combination of, of assets. And that's because of taxes. So when I say rebalancing your portfolio, I mean that keeping it very simple. Let's say you have 60% of your portfolio in stocks and 40% in bonds, which is a classic 60-40 um, split of portfolio management. Over time, your stocks will outperform your bonds. So in order to rebalance your portfolio so that it doesn't change from 60 to 40 to 70 to 30 to 80 to 20, 
and you want to keep it at 60-40, you will have to sell a portion of your stocks and then reallocate the proceeds into your bonds so you can maintain that portfolio mix of 60-40. That changing and reallocation of your assets is called rebalancing. Two, remember that cash is also a part of your portfolio and cash has a 0% return. And if you factor in inflation, you end up losing purchasing power over time. In general, you need to make about 6% return on a long-term portfolio to break even when you factor in taxes and inflation. So your job in investing is to always get more than 6%. If there's anything you get from this one episode, I would say that's the most important thing, or at least the second most important thing. The first most important thing is you need to diversify. Don't just hold one type of asset class. The second thing you need to consider is how are you going to make it so that your portfolio makes more than 6% return year over year with compounding interest? Because if it doesn't make 6% or more, you're basically breaking even. Another type of asset I didn't mention is venture capital and startup investing. It has become easier to get into the startup investing world because of crowdfunding websites like Republic.co. But you should consider that VC and startup investing can literally be akin to the lottery or coin flipping if you don't live in that world and have a career in tech. So I would recommend not doing startup investing. And take this advice from someone who works in startups. The bare minimum, you should have at least two asset types in your portfolio. And the simplest combination of two assets is a 60-40 split of equities or stock indexes and a bond index or a set of bond indexes that you choose. In preparing for this podcast episode, I found an amazing resource that I recommend you check out if you want to see the nitty gritty mathematics of investing firsthand. MIT has a free course on YouTube where you're able to learn about portfolio management, and I'll put the link to that in the show notes. And I also wanted to share some of the things that I learned from that, just in case you don't want to listen to the lecture, because it is applicable to what we're talking about, and and I think it's important to think about as well. So why is rebalancing important? Depending on how you weigh your asset classes, some will naturally outperform the others. So you rebalance whenever the weights don't hit their targets, like I mentioned earlier. You either want to have a bot or a broker rebalance your portfolio for you, or if you want to do it manually, I would recommend not doing it more than two times a year because you will be taxed on the assets you sell. How does rebalancing work? One asset that outperforms the rest has a portion reallocated to the other assets to bring back stability in your portfolio. This helps to maximize returns over the long periods of time you will be investing, but it does not help maximize returns during the short-term time horizons, which is why I personally never invest for short-term periods. Now, when I say short-term, it's less than a year. I would say when you invest, Always shoot for three years or more. And whenever you hold something, don't expect to sell it until three years after the purchasing period. 
Rebalancing your portfolio also helps to some extent with making sure your portfolio is not affected by volatility, which ties back everything to the beginning of this episode. If you want a specific or at least two companies that can help you when it comes to rebalancing, I would say Betterment is a great resource because they allow you to just automatically rebalance your portfolio and M1 Finance because you're able to literally click a button and whenever your assets drift um, between their target allocations, that rebalancing feature allows you to automatically set everything back to normal without having to think about the exact amounts that you need to sell in order to get back to normal. Now, a quick note on correlation in your portfolio, which basically is how each asset class affects the others. The whole purpose of combining asset classes is to lower, what I mentioned earlier, the standard deviation or risk in your portfolio. In order to achieve this, your asset classes cannot be correlated, in this case, affected by each other. Achieving a correlation of zero is really hard to do. And if you're able to do this, you can go make millions at a hedge fund. But our goal as retail investors and as sensible investors is just to get as close to zero as possible. So to give you a clear example of what correlation means, imagine you in your portfolio hold only two assets and they're both stocks. One is a food company and one is a water utility provider. If the water utility provider for some reason gets shut down, and that water was used to help grow the food company's raw materials, the shutting down of one asset affects the other one negatively. And that's what correlation means. You essentially want to reduce the amount in which all of your assets affect each other. And the best way to do that, honestly, is to diversify your portfolio one and to have a a mix of indexes in there, not just individual companies. Now let's get to the fun part. I want to talk about what are two examples of portfolios that you can use as starting points for your investing. One is from Burton Malkiel. I can't pronounce his last name, but I'll put I'll put his name in the show notes. And David Swenson. These are two amazing portfolio managers and investors that Tony Robbins interviewed in his book, and each of them have their own recommended portfolios for the beginner. Burton's is 33% in the U.S. total bond market, 27% in the U.S. total stock market, 14% in a developed foreign markets fund, 14% in emerging markets, and 12% in U.S. real estate investment trusts. And when I say all of these assets, I'm talking about having them in an index. So you're not even thinking about what companies you to put in each of these baskets. It's just having an index and allocating the total amount of money into these particular in uh, percentages. And David Swenson's portfolio is 20% in a domestic stock index, 20% in a international stock index, 10% in emerging markets, in REITs, 15% in long-term U.S. Treasuries, 15% in TIPS, and 
And that basically gives you a total of 30% security versus 70% risk when it comes to your portfolio. So those would be the two that I would use as starting points. Mine, for full disclosure, isn't necessarily the same as this. My portfolio right now is a rough estimate of 60% in stock indexes, 10% in one bond index. So that's 70% right now. And then the rest of the 30% is single stocks plus crypto. Now, when it comes to how I allocate my money annually, I always put a focus on my Roth IRA first, making sure I max it out each year. And I never withdraw money from it because there's a penalty for doing so. My Roth IRA is my favorite account because I won't be taxed when I withdraw from it in the future. I pay my taxes up front when I deposit in. The allocation of this account is mainly in stock indexes, like I mentioned before, and I'll begin changing it from stocks to more bond heavy in the indexes when I am around 50 to 55 years old, just so I can get some stability and I don't have that much risk near retirement. Only after I finish my monthly contribution to my IRA do I begin allocating to single stocks in crypto. Now, if you're thinking of using a brokerage account that takes all the work of portfolio management off your plate, what I recommend is M1 Finance. It's a great example of how simplicity can be added into your investing life. And I, quite frankly, think it's better than Robinhood when it comes to portfolio management. A great visual example of how M1 Finance works is on YouTube. The guy's name is Joseph Carlson. And not only does he give legitimate advice and he showcases how M1 Finance works in a great way. If you watch any video, I think you'll go, you'll, you'll get out a lot of value from it. And he gives a lot of um, insights into how to look into a specific stock. Now, he does promote particular assets that he holds. So keep in mind that whenever he's giving the bull case or the bear case, the pros and cons of a particular company, he's doing it with a particular agenda in mind. But I think you should check out his channel just so that you can see how someone thinks about buying and selling a stock in a way that is very, very sensible, in my opinion. And if you watch any of his videos, please comment and say, I found you via The Sensible Investor because I do want him to be a guest on the podcast one day. And I wanted to end the podcast episode with just one quick quote from Earn Your Leisure, which is a great finance Instagram and educational resource that I found. And that quote is, if you're not applying the information, you're not being educated, you're being entertained. So what I would say is, Regardless of whatever you're taking away from this episode, go do something. That can be creating an M1 Finance account. That could be creating a Betterment account. That can be doing some research on other financial tools that do portfolio management and rebalancing for you. But at the end of the day, the most important thing to do is something, anything. Because at the end of the day, you are a sensible investor. Thanks for listening to the Sensible Investor Podcast. This podcast is a labor of love. What does that mean? That means that I'm working with a team of one person, me. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and you want to support it, definitely start by sharing it for your friends and family who love investing. And even better, share it with someone you know who hasn't started investing but is thinking about doing it. Who knows? Maybe, just maybe, 
One of these episodes is the catalyst that convinces them to get started on their financial journey.